I told this to first service, you are never obligated to clap. You can boo if you want, okay? I don't know that I would clap for me. Hey, if you're new or visiting, my name is Jerry. I am the campus pastor here at our Carmel campus. And um, if you're new, I'd love to get to know you. I'd just love to shake your hand. I love, I enjoy meeting new people and helping you, like where you're coming from and how we can help you take a next step in your faith journey. So please take us up on the offer. Come meet me after service or stop by the blue tent afterwards. Um, we would just love to help you get connected to the life of Genesis Church. An important thing for those of you that consider Genesis to be your church home. Uh, we've been talking about this a lot, and uh, we're going to continue to talk about it. We Every week, we see more and more people regathering with us, even through the summer. And it's been exciting to see a lot of new people joining us. But I want you to hear me say this. If you consider Genesis to be your church home, we really could use your help serving in a variety of capacities. We're getting by right now, but we, are, we, we need help on the host team, at the, at the tent, in the cafe, on our tech team. We're about 15 people away from being able to go to having gin kids at both hours. And some of those are just basic check-in spots at the counter. So this isn't like hard stuff. It's just all of us using our gifts and abilities uh, so we can serve all of our guests and visitors when, when we come here, okay? This is a really important part of building up our church family together. So if you're not currently serving, just find us and ask, ask us where we can put you to, to use. And we want to use your gifts and your talents to build up this great church family, okay? Last thing I want to say before we jump into the message is if you've been watching the news at all, you're probably aware that COVID cases are, are going up. Nothing like they were before, but it's kind of on our, on our mind and, and in our attention, right? So as a staff, we've been talking a little bit this weekend, and we want you to know we're aware of that. And so we just want to continue to do what we're doing. We want to be wise about how we meet together, but we want to continue to meet together. And so in the weeks and in the months to come, if you feel like wearing a mask makes you feel safe and at home, by all means, please wear your mask. We just want to encourage everybody. We, we are seeing great things happen as we continue to regather together. So we're going to adapt and we're going to adjust in the weeks to come. And hopefully that's nothing. But we just want to get ahead of it and say, look, don't be afraid to join us and wear a mask. We would rather have you here worshiping Jesus together than have all of us go back to what it was like before. I think we can all agree to that. So we'll figure this thing out together. Thank you for your patience. So on that note, let's just pray together. We're going to ask for God's help and guidance as we dive into his word. And then we'll begin. Let's pray. Father, I, that last song that we sang, or actually just worship today, it was so good. And we, we need to live lives um, that reflect that in everywhere we go. But it's good to gather together as your family and to raise our voices and our hearts to you. And so I'm thankful for that last song that celebrates the goodness of the gospel. Jesus, you have come. You have died in our place. Through faith in you, we are forgiven of our sins, empowered by the Holy Spirit. Uh, all of your righteousness is credited to our account, not because we deserve it, but because you are good to us. And there will be a day that you will return to make everything right again. Would you help us to be found faithful in the meantime? Would you help us and guide us through the day-to-day -day realities of life in this uncertain world that we live in? Would you help us to live uh, with confidence and courage that comes through your Holy Spirit? Would you help us to live such differently and distinct, such different and distinct lives that people are drawn to you by the way we care for one another and by the way we live out our faith in you? Jesus, we love you. Holy Spirit, we invite you here right now. We pray that you would open up our eyes and our ears and our hearts and our minds to what you want to teach us in your word today. We love you, Jesus. It's in your great name we pray. Amen. So I got online and checked this out. 
the CDC released a report that says that one in three Americans are sleep deprived. And maybe many of you are thinking, oh man, that totally sounds right. But the report also showed that that has spiked to 90%. Nine out of 10 Americans are sleep deprived over the last two weeks, mainly because of the Olympics, right? If you're like me, our family loves the Olympics. We are staying up way too late. Yesterday we watched women's rugby, men's trampoline, it was awesome. I don't care about those things ever except when the Olympics are on. And I cannot go to sleep at night. Like I just, I have to like grind through this week and then it's back to normal, right? But we, 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 our family is on a mission to take in as much Olympic coverage as possible. And last weekend we were watching a men's sand volleyball match with, uh, the, with the American team, Phil Dahlhauser and Nick Lucina. They're seen here. This Dahlhauser here, he's a four-time Olympian, a gold medalist back in 2008, but he has a really interesting story. Maybe you've heard this, but on his flight from San Francisco to Tokyo, he was sitting near his teammate who ended up testing positive for COVID. So when he got there, Dahlhauser did not test positive, but he was put on a modified quarantine. And the Olympic committee said, you can play, but you cannot come into the Olympic Village. You cannot be by the rest of the athletes, which would be a real bummer. I heard an interview yesterday when one of the athletes was saying, oh, it's great to be in the village and be around everybody. He didn't get to experience that. But on top of that, he can't even use the showering facilities. So he plays in the sand and like, how do you, how do you clean off? Well, it showed a video of his coach hosing him off, literally. He cannot, this is a four-time Olympian and a gold medalist being hosed down like an animal. I mean, there's got to be a better way, right? But I can relate to Phil Dahlhauser. When I work outside and I get hot and sweaty, my wife is like, don't you dare come into this house until you hose off. And so basically, I know what it's like to be an Olympian. I can say that now. I can say that with great certainty. Hey, if you have a Bible, go ahead and open up to the book of Daniel. For the next four weeks, we're going to continue our journey through the Old Testament, but we're going to slow down a little bit and we're going to spend four weeks looking at this, the life of this young Hebrew teenager named Daniel. And here's what's interesting. Just like Phil Dahlhauser, Daniel and his friends can appreciate the challenge that comes with being scrutinized, singled out, and being forced to live by a different set of rules. Except for Daniel and his friends, they weren't trying to make it into the Olympic Games. They were just trying to survive as exiles and hostages in a foreign land. And it literally for them was a life and death struggle. So turn to Daniel chapter one. If you're looking through your Bible and wondering where Daniel is, it's after Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel. And this is how chapter one, verse one begins. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. Pay attention to this word. We're gonna come back to it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. Then he carried off I'm sorry, these he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put it in the treasure house of his God. So Daniel begins with this surge of information. And if you're like me, you're probably wondering like, what, what's that mean and why is that important? Well, there's a couple of things that we need to point out. The first is we learn that the king was Jehoiakim. He was the 19th king to reign in Judah after David had died. And like many of the other kings before him, he was not a good king. He he. For he did not worship the God of Israel. He actually worshiped idols and he led the people in doing the same. And this was not good. The prophets warned him, if you do not turn your heart back to God, you and the people will be punished. And that's exactly what happened in 605 BC. This is a documented historical event. You can check it out. In 605 BC, God punished 
Jehoiakim and the rebellion of the people of Israel by allowing the sacred city of Jerusalem to be conquered and destroyed and the people that were there were either killed or they were exiled, taken away into the land of Babylon where they were going to have to live under the authority of a foreign king for the next 70 years. That's a long time. But there's another really fascinating detail from those verses that you need to pay attention to. It mentions Babylon or Babylonia. Now, in your English Bibles, you'll probably notice a footnote that says this is also referred to as the region or the land of Shinar. And you maybe you never heard of Shinar before, but you have, I bet you have, and you don't even know it. If you go back to the book of Genesis, the very first book of the Bible, in chapter 11, humanity gathered in the region of Shinar for one of the greatest acts of rebellion against God ever. In their own words, they wanted to make a name for themselves. And so this is what they did. They built a tower up to heaven so that they could reach up to God. And God said, I don't want you to do that. I want you to scatter throughout the world. So they rebelled against God by gathering together. And what was the name of the temple or the the tower? It's the Tower of Babel, right? Sounds a lot like Babylon. Well, here's what's crazy. That tower, those people represented pride and disobedience and flat out rejection of God in all of his ways. And now several thousand years later, Daniel and his people are being exiled to the very same place that was a hotbed of disobedience and rebellion against God. This would have been an extreme punishment, like send me anywhere except there, God. And so today, the land of Babylon is in modern day Iraq. And we've got a map here so you can kind of get a feel for what the Babylonian empire would have looked like. It stretched down into Egypt and all the way over in this direction. And and Babylon would have been a a world superpower in, in the life of Daniel. But here's what we need to pay attention to for today. Babylon was a real physical place in Daniel's day, but the rest of the Old and New Testament actually refer to Babylon and Babylonia as a symbolic name to describe an evil spiritual superpower that's at work to oppose God throughout all the ages of humanity. We find it in Genesis 11 at the Tower of Babel. We see this to be true in Daniel And we also read about it in the New Testament. Many of the New Testament writers referred to Rome as Babylon. And the Apostle John, when he was writing the book of Revelation, he went as far as using the word Babylon to refer to the entire world system that rejects and opposes God at every turn. And so just in case you're wondering, like, is this just an Old Testament thing? Well, the spirit of Babylon is alive and active in our world today. It's an evil spiritual reality where government and media and commerce and economics are all used to wage war against God and his people. Now, I want to be clear about this. That's not a political statement. That's just the reality of the way the world has worked for centuries, which means that just like Daniel, we are all living in Babylon. We all live in Babylon. Our kids are getting ready to go back to school in Babylon. We work in Babylon, we'll retire in Babylon, and we will die in Babylon. And just like in Daniel's day, Babylon is literally hell-bent on leading people to reject God, to cripple the church of Jesus Christ, and to make the way of Jesus and followers of Jesus completely irrelevant. Now, that seems pretty dark and overwhelming, doesn't it? But here's the good news that we're going to learn as we study Daniel over the next couple of weeks, what we're going to see is that the power of God is far greater 
than the evil of Babylon. And God's kingdom continues to forcefully advance against the evil powers of this world. And as followers of Jesus, we are not just called to survive our time in Babylon. But through faith in Jesus, we are empowered by his spirit to thrive in spite of what the world throws at us. And so for the next four weeks, we're going to use the book of Daniel as a guide. And we're going to see how Daniel and his friends lived out their faith in God in a very bold way in spite of their time in Babylon. And the more bold they were in their faith, even when their life was on the line, God showed up in amazing ways and it baffled the Babylonians. So let's continue in Daniel's story. We learn that the the temple in Jerusalem, everything's destroyed in Jerusalem. Look at verse 3. The king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of the court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and nobility. Now pay attention here. These were young men without any physical defect. They were handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. And he was going to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. This is like a master's degree in everything Babylonian. And one of the first things that we learn is that Nebuchadnezzar went and looked for the best and the brightest among the Hebrews so that they could serve in his administration. But what that required was for them to be reprogrammed so they could be faithful citizens of Babylon. And this is where we meet Daniel and his friends in verse 6. Among those who were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And pay attention to verse 7. It says, the chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. Now, we're going to revisit this in just a moment. But what was it about Daniel and his friends that made them stand out? Well, we learned that they were from the royal family. They were nobility. They were handsome. They were smart. They were strong. And they were likely teenagers, too. Many scholars believe that Daniel would have been around 15 years of age. And so there's been an interesting archaeological discovery to show us what we believe these men may have looked like. And they were sharp. They were some good-looking dudes. Check this out. There they are. Look at those guys. (laughs) Now, if you're new and you're like, who are those guys? That's our pastoral staff. We are not young. We're really not that smart. So Daniel and his friends look way better than this. But I want you to take a moment and imagine that you're Daniel. Your homeland's been invaded. Your family has likely been killed in the process. The temple where you would worship your God is long gone and you've been taken hostage by your enemies and they're trying to reprogram you to forget who you are so that you can become just like them. And to make the process complete, the king says, you know what? We're gonna go one step further. We're gonna give you some new names. And this is a big deal because their Hebrew names all honored Yahweh, the God of heaven, the God of Israel. But look at what their new names mean. Daniel's name, his original Hebrew name means God. Yahweh is my judge. But his new name means Baal protects the king. Baal was the chief deity among the Babylonians. Hananiah's name meant God. Yahweh is gracious. But his new Hebrew name meant under the command of Aku, who would have been the Babylonian moon god. Mishael's name meant there's none like Yahweh, the God of heaven, But his new Babylonian name meant there's none like Eku, the moon god. And then Azariah, his name meant God. Yahweh has helped me. But his new Babylonian name means the servant of Nebo, who was the Babylonian god of wisdom. Now, can you imagine everything about you being erased? 
And the goal in this process was to get these young men to doubt and to deny everything they had ever known to the point that Babylon even tried to get them to deny their identity as children of God. So things got real, really quick for Daniel and his friends. They were immediately confronted with the pressure to compromise the way they thought and the way they believed and the way they worshiped and the way that they were going to live. And the pressure just kept coming. Look at verse five. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained. Look at this. This is a three-year process. And after that, they would enter into the king's service. It was literally like getting a master's degree in Babylon. And from what we can tell, Daniel and his friends, they didn't show any signs of outward resistance. They seemed to show up to all their Babylonian classes. They responded to their Babylonian names during roll call. But apparently all that changed when they got to the lunchroom. Look at verse 8. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission to not defile himself in this way. And so this brings up a really good question. Of all the things that would be offensive to Daniel, why the food and wine? I mean, after all, it was coming from the king's table. It was the best food in all the land. It was like Chick-fil-A and then some. It was so good. But here's the short answer. The reality is, is the food was probably deemed unclean. And so eating it as a Jew would make you ceremonial, unclean, based on Jewish ceremonial law. But I think there was a bigger issue. I think Daniel and his friends knew that the food would have been offered to or prayed over in the name of Babylonian gods. And so to eat this food would be to honor those gods. And at first you might think like, is that really that big of a deal? Couldn't you just pray over it in the name of, of your own God? I mean, they can't control their situation and they need to eat. So what's, what's the big deal? Well, I guess they could have shrugged it off, but apparently their integrity with God was so important to them that they just drawn, they drew a line in the sand. And they made up their mind long before they got in the lunchroom that day that they were going to do everything they could do to honor God because they couldn't control being taken hostage. They couldn't control that people called them new names but they could control what went into their body and they could control their heart in the way that their heart viewed their God. And so I wanna, I wanna stop for just a moment and I wanna make this like real for us in 2021 because as followers of Jesus, I don't know that if you've no, noticed this or not, but we live in a world that says that the way that we believe isn't very popular. And there's lots of things that happen that, that we're like, this is crazy. How, how can this be true? And every day we're confronted with what the world wants us to believe is acceptable and right and true and good according to the ever-changing cultural norms of the day. And so social media and news outlets bombard us with messages about how they think we should think about things. And if you disagree, you can be demonized. You can be canceled in an instant. And academia is pressuring our students and our families to view things like creation and gender and race issues in a way that factors God out of the equation completely. And anyone who believes different is shamed and ridiculed for being small-minded and hateful. Employers are pressuring their employees to be quiet about their personal beliefs and to get in line with the social and the political winds of the day, or you could, you could lose your job. And like Daniel and his friends, we have to recognize we're going to face moments like this, if you haven't already. And we're going to have to choose to refrain, to abstain, or to take a stand. And we don't do this to draw attention to ourselves. We don't do this to try to win a debate. We take a stand based on the authority of God's word and our faithfulness to him. 
And like Daniel, it's not going to be easy. It won't be popular. But demonstrating this kind of faith allows God an opportunity to work in ways that only he could get the credit. And so here's the question. How can we learn to take a stand like Daniel and his friends? What would it look like? Like where do, where do we begin? And I think just like Daniel and his friends, it begins today. You have to decide right now, who are you going to live for? Are you going to blend into Babylon? Or will you make a decision today to live for God regardless, to live out your faith in God regardless of what others might think and what, what others might do to you? You know, athletes train and they prepare to compete in the Olympic Games. Soldiers train and they prepare for battle. And the same is true for us. We have to train and we have to prepare not just ourselves, but our kids and our grandkids for the challenges of living in Babylon. Look at verse 9. Now, this is a really important word, phrase here. Now God, we see Daniel we see God working for Daniel. Now God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel, but the official told Daniel, I'm afraid of my Lord, the king, who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than all the other young men your age? The king would have my head because of you. Now, the truth is Daniel could have been executed for saying, hey, I don't want to do that. But he was really bold and he stepped out and because of his boldness for God, God moved in this man's heart, and Daniel found favor and compassion with him. Look at verse 11. Daniel said to the guard, please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to test them for 10 days. Now, Daniel was wise. He realized his supervisor had some expectations that he had to meet. But he was also really bold in suggesting an alternative that would allow him to honor God in the process. And he says, let's just see what happens. And miraculously, the chief priest says, you know what? Let's try that. Verse 15, at the end of 10 days, Daniel and his friends look healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and wine and they were to drink, that they were to drink and gave them vegetables and water instead. Now it's safe to say that these young men were really regular, but for some reason, they, that was a joke by the way, they stood out among everybody, right? They stood out among everybody else around them. And Daniel got a front row seat to the presence and the power of his God at work in his life, in spite of the predicament that he was in. Look at verse 17. To these four young men, Daniel and his friends, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. So Daniel and their, his friends, they made this difficult decision to be faithful to God and things were really uncertain, but God in his goodness rewarded their faithfulness by being faithful back to them. Look at verse 18. At the end of the time, at the end of the three-year period set by the king, the king met with and talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service, and this is where it gets really good. Verse 20. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them to be 10 times better than the magicians and the enchanters in the whole kingdom. They were 10 times better than the best of the best in all of Babylon. So what's the moral of the story? Drink lots of water and eat all your vegetables, right? 
That's not the moral of the story. The moral of the story is be faithful to God. Be faithful in your convictions. Be faithful in what God says to what he reveals to us in his word. And what we're going to see in the weeks to come is that Daniel and his friends, they didn't just survive in Babylon. They thrived. They lived out their faith and their obedience to God in such a way that everyone that looked at them could not figure it out. In fact, if you keep reading through the rest of the book of Daniel, in chapters four and five, I was reading this the other day, on four different occasions, the king does not know how to explain Daniel. And he says this, the king says, the spirit of the holy gods lives in you. The only thing the king could say is clearly, God's spirit is alive and well in you. And so let's not miss this. Faithfulness is a very big deal to God. As followers of Jesus, we have been given promises and expectations that God wants us to obey. And God doesn't want us to obey them because he's just this overbearing judge. He's a holy God. He can't stand sin. And he will not tolerate or overlook our sinful patterns and habits because he knows sin has the power to ruin our lives if it goes unchecked. But he also knows that our sin has the potential to disqualify us from leading other people to him. This is why he sent Jesus to die in our place. This is why sin is such a big deal. Jesus has come to die in our place. And when we put our faith in him, we're forgiven of our sin. We're filled with the Holy Spirit of God and we're adopted into God's family. And we get to know God, not just as a distant cosmic being somewhere. He is our good heavenly father and because he's a good father, he doesn't want his children blending in with the rest of the world. He wants us to stand out in every way imaginable so people can see that his children are different. So there's a few things that we can learn from Daniel's story that can help shape our life and our faith. For starters, it's safe to say that Daniel had a spiritual family that helped shape his faith. We know he had at least three friends. And these guys worked, they were close. They encouraged one another in their faith. Scholars believe that about the time that Daniel was born, a, a young man named Josiah would have been king in Judah. And jo Josiah was unique because he was actually a good king. He worshiped God. And even in his youth, he worked to reopen the temple and he revitalized the spirit of worship among the people of God. So Daniel would have grown up in a time of spiritual revival. And on top of that, we don't know a lot about Daniel's parents but what we do know is that they named him something very specific that means God is my judge. They had a very high view of God. And if you look at Daniel's life, he lived that way. He knew that he would be accountable to God. And so he, he just said, I'm going to be faithful to God no matter what. He is my judge. And here's what's really cool for us. Just like Daniel, who had a spiritual family around him encouraging him, those of us that follow Jesus, we do too. It's this amazing thing called the church. And the church isn't a building. The church is an incredible gift from God that spans the whole earth. And according to Jesus, his church is to be made up of people that are young and old, male and female, rich and poor, red and yellow, black and white. We should be so diverse. We should be so different from the rest of the world. But here's what's, here's what's beautiful about the church. We are not confined to a time and a place on a Sunday morning. We're not confined to Noblesville or Carmel. The writers of the New Testament tell us that the church is a body of believers united in our faith in Jesus as the Son of God. 
and we are united in helping the rest of the world know that he is the one and only Savior. And we are empowered through faith in Jesus by the Holy Spirit to love and care for one another and to build one another up so that we can boldly live our lives, live our faith out together. And together we can lead people to faith and together we can celebrate when they're baptized and together we can train and equip and release more and more people to advance the kingdom of God. And we do this to keep the focus on Jesus. We do this to rebel against the spirit of Babylon that just wants to rip our faith away from us. And it's a really amazing thing when you get to see the church at work. And I got a small taste of it this week. I've been so excited to share this with you guys. So a couple weeks ago, we were collecting back-to-school supplies. And in Noblesville, our goal was to collect 80 backpacks filled with school supplies. And we did that. We, we gave them to the Noblesville school system. Here in Carmel, we've partnered with Carmel Youth Assistance. And we were able to sponsor 43 specific children from about 18 to 20 families. And we gave them socks, underwear, and $50 in gift cards for a new pair of shoes. And Carmel Youth Assistance reached out to us and said, hey, would you like to help us distribute those bags? Could people come to your church? And we're like, that'd be great. And so Kevin Russell had this idea, well, what if, what if we prayed for them? And we're like, yes, let's do that. And so as these families came to pick up their bags, we were able to give them to them. And we said, would you mind if we prayed for you? And to our surprise, many of them said, oh gosh, please, sure. And so they started sharing their prayer requests. And, and I just want you to hear me say this, okay? Living in Carmel or being around Carmel, being in Hamilton County, there's a lot of affluence here and our affluence hides people that are really hurting. And when you meet with people that are really, really, really hurting and they share prayer requests with you that you're thinking, I didn't even know that was a thing. It's super humbling. People ask for prayer, prayers for asylum for their family so their family can stay in the United States and not have to go back to where they're from because it's safer here. We had parents praying for their children that were terrified to go back to school. Um, I, there, the list goes, there's a little girl that was translating for her mom who has cancer. And you're just like, oh my goodness, how can we help these people? This is why this partnership is so important for us. But the one that really touched me the most, there was this lady, she picked up five bags. She had five kids, five school-age kids. And I said, hey, would you mind if we prayed for you? And she said, yeah, that'd be great. And I said, well, what can we pray for? And she paused and she immediately started crying. She had a mask on and her mask was just soaked with tears. And she said, we just need a better year this year. And I said, oh gosh, we all do. Tell me, about, tell me your story. And she said, my husband left me last year. Walked out, no child support. I am working multiple jobs to support these kids. I don't know how I'm gonna do it. And I said, okay, well, what's like your most pressing need? And she said, our rent is due this Friday. I said, okay, well, let's pray. And we swapped numbers and she left. And I knew, I knew if I just reached out to some of you, you would help solve that problem. So I reached out to my men's group. I reached out to the group of people that meet in my home and a couple of others, you caught wind of it. And in less than 12 hours, we raised enough money to pay this lady's rent for August and most of it through September. And I know that many of you, had you known, you would have been like, how can, how can I help? And here's why I'm sharing that with you. I got to call her on Friday and say, hey, I just want to let you know, I've, here's receipts for both of them. We went to your place and we've paid it. And we just want you to know Jesus loves you. And we want to walk this journey with you. That's what the church should look like. Because Babylon says, you just look out for yourself. But Jesus says, no, 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 we come together and we work together to help people that are in need. Now, a few thousand years after Daniel walked on the earth, there was a man named Paul who persecuted Christians, hated Christians, executed Christians. 
until he had a face-to-face encounter with the resurrected Jesus, and everything changed for him. He became one of the greatest missionaries, the greatest missionary to ever walk the face of the planet. He has written the majority of the New Testament, and as it turns out, he wrote a letter to the church in Rome, and in those days, when the early Christians talked about Rome, they would refer to Rome as Babylon, and Paul wrote these words to the church in Rome. In Romans 12, 1 and 2, he says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, he's speaking communally to his church family, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Verse two, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Now this passage is so deep and rich in meaning. But what Paul was encouraging the church in Rome to do was to resist the urge to be like everybody in Rome, to fight against the spirit of Babylon and to have your minds transformed by the power of Jesus living inside of them. He says, you offer your bodies as a living sacrifice to the living God, meaning you're gonna have to give up some things. You're gonna have to stand out, but you do that because you know who the real God is. You know the benefits that come from not blending in with the world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Be transformed. He he will transform the way that you think about things. Babylon changed Daniel's address and Babylon changed Daniel's name. But Daniel refused to allow Babylon to change his heart. And I think the same needs to be said for us. Babylon is going to attack who we are and what we believe. And we have to make a decision to live boldly, not for a generic God, but for a specific savior named Jesus. Because Babylon's gonna tell us to get in line by accepting the ever-changing thinking of our day. But Jesus says, I want you to have a relationship with me so you can know God is your heavenly father who never changes. Babylon says you seek pleasure in any way you can find it, but Jesus teaches us to guard our hearts and our eyes and our ears, to be careful with what we take in so that we're not rotten on the inside. Babylon says you worship anything and everything that you think might give you life. Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, worship me. Babylon tells us to do whatever it's gonna take to make a name for ourselves so we think we're great, but Jesus calls us to be humble and to live lives of integrity so that our faith can shine so bright that the people around us can't figure us out and they're drawn to him. Babylon tells us to use our resources to build up our kingdoms by getting things that that give us greater social status, but Jesus teaches us to use our resources to live generous lives so that people that don't know God experience God's generosity when his hands and feet are generous to the world around us. Babylon teaches us to live for ourselves first and to use others for our own personal game. But Jesus, Jesus modeled a different way. He modeled a selfless love that puts others first and he modeled it by dying in our place for our sins. He said, this is what this looks like. And so the bottom line is that just like Daniel, God wants his people to be faithful in public and in private. Jesus stood out to the world and he ended up dying because of it. 
So we should not be surprised when the world looks at us and says, I don't get it. We shouldn't be surprised when they fight against us, but we can live out our faith in a way that honors God, that allows him to work in miraculous ways on our behalf. This is what we're called to as followers of Jesus. It will not be easy. It's not gonna get any easier. It is only gonna get harder. Scripture tells us that. But this is why our faith matters so much. Now, if you are here today and you don't know Jesus personally, I want you to know you're losing, you're fighting a losing battle. But through faith in Jesus, you can have victory. You can be forgiven. You can be empowered by his Holy Spirit and you can begin a brand new life with him. And we would invite you into our church family and say, join us on this mission of making the name of Jesus great. So if you have a question about what it means to be baptized or you wanna begin your relationship with Jesus, please find me or Kevin after service. We'd love to talk with you. Now, I wanna end in a really specific way today. I wanna pray for a few different groups of people. We've got students that are getting ready to go back to school in Babylon. And I wanna invite you, if you are a student getting ready to go back to school, go ahead and stand because we're gonna pray for you first. So if you're a student, go ahead, college student, high school student, doesn't matter, elementary student, go ahead and stand up. If you're close to one of these students, just extend your hand and let's pray for them. Father, we thank you for these beautiful young people in our church family. Would you help them to be like Daniel and his friends? Would you help them to stand out? Would you give them wisdom beyond all of their peers, not to be popular, not to be famous, but to be faithful? Would you help them to to shine like the stars of the sky through their faith in you? Would you help them to resist every urge that Babylon is gonna throw at them? And would you help them to be obedient to your Holy Spirit, to make your name great in their generation and the generations to come? Now I wanna invite parents and grandparents to stand. Father, would you equip our parents and our grandparents, our teachers and our administrators Would you help us to be faithful to train and equip the next generation? The world is changing so fast, but God, you never change. Holy Spirit, would you help us to be united in the name of Jesus? Would you remind us we are empowered by your Holy Spirit? Would you help us to pour into our children, to teach them how to worship you, to teach them how to follow you, to model what it looks like, to say we're sorry when we fall short? but to be faithful, to be intentional, to be consistent and to rely on you through the process. Would you help us to pray with them and for them and over them? Help us to work together to raise them to be great in your eyes. And I would invite anybody else that's not standing yet to stand. If if you're willing to agree that when you walk out these doors, you're walking into Babylon and you need the help of the Holy Spirit, I wanna invite you to stand. Father, would you help us as your people. Would you help us to stand out in the world? Would you help us not to live isolated lives where we just try to build up our own kingdoms? Would you help us to sacrifice all that for your kingdom? Would you help us to use our gifts and our talents and our abilities to build up your church family, not on a Sunday morning, but everywhere we go all the time? Holy Spirit, would you convict our hearts to let go of the sinful patterns and habits in our lives that are dragging us away from God. And would you help us through faith to remember we are forgiven in the name of Jesus. Your righteousness is credited to our account and we don't have to try to impress anybody anymore. We live for you and for you alone. So would you empower us 
Would you encourage us? Would you convict us? And would you lead us in making an impact in this world for you? Jesus, we look forward to the day that you will return. There will be a day that you will crush Babylon completely. But until then, would you help us to be faithful to advance your kingdom? We love you, Jesus. It's in your great name we pray. Amen. We're going to continue to worship him together. Let's sing to him from our hearts.